hello from a cafe in Thailand in Pai. I, this is season two of Discover Energy Work and um, yeah, I'm a bit homeless, so uh, I've been very busy putting together some amazing interviews. Uh, today we're going to be talking to Russell Pickering and Russell's got a really incredible story. But what I wanted to say was we are kicked off the story because it gets so uh, energetically charged that we physically, um, the internet goes down, his television suddenly stops working and so on. All right, anyway, I apologize for the background noise here, but there's definitely some great noise in the interview, which you'll really enjoy. Great to be back and thanks for joining us again. Welcome to Discover Energy Work. Today, um, I have Russell Pickering and Russell Pickering is a very passionate remote viewer and clearer. And I'm, I want to give some background. I, I only know Russell from uh, our uh, like mutual friends and on Facebook and from the groups. And whenever I've had some sort of connection, for me, a little light goes off. It's like, I'd like to talk to that guy. I think he's got some stories and he's, he's interesting somehow. Now this actually, you're all witnessing our first, you could say like first meeting. We did, I did uh, have a call just to sort of say, you know, what, what what's up? Would you be open to having a, a, a chat with me on Discover Energy Work and, and very kindly, you've agreed, Russell. So how are you today? I'm doing great and I really appreciate the invite. I do. I remember it's funny, um, I didn't make the connection until I went back and looked at your interview with Paul and I did not recognize you with a beard. Right. And I remember in the group actually telling Paul how much I liked the interviewer. So this is quite a treat and thank you. I, I remember the comment. I, I can't remember who wrote it, but I do remember the comment. Um, uh, I, you know, for me, um, we're talking about Paul Smith and uh, Paul is you know, really one of the world's leading uh, teachers of remote viewing, um, control remote viewing. And um, uh, for me, it's always been about trying to get the story because a lot of people are going to say, you know, come on, it's not true or whatever. And I'm like, well, look, we're, we're a little bit past this guys. <laughs> you know, we've, we've changed our life direction because of experiences we've had. We don't need to talk to other people about whether it's true or not. It's like, uh, do your research, do your scientific research. And if you still think it's not true, then, um, then we can talk about the different papers and, and, uh, and so on. So, so I, come, I, come at from, I come at it from a different angle. Um, but I'm interested, I'm interested in, in hearing a little bit your background. How did you, like, if you went back, and I, I don't mind if you're okay to go back even into your childhood where you went, there's something else going on here. Um, in your life, because that will be a, an important point. And then for me, another point, I mean, I, I don't know if it's important, um, if it exists for you, but another important point was when you gone like, okay, there needs to be a kind of shift. Uh, I need to be doing different things completely, you know, with my life. For me, it did actually start very young. Um, I was as early as, say, four or five years old, very aware of um, presence, intelligences, energies that uh, others didn't seem to share. And that, you know, created some problems in a childhood and some visits to the child psychologist. 
some of it, you know, to be honest, was a bit traumatic and um, upsetting and yeah. unsettling. And so it's such an early age to be aware of things that didn't suit my desires for friendliness or how I imagined the world to be. That, that set a quest in motion probably right then and there. Um, go ahead. Yeah, I'm, you, know, you, you picked up because I'm interested in, well, I mean, of course, like a child, uh, if we're looking at the child psychology models of attachment, which, which are, you know, attachment theory is saying we need to feel safe, we need to feel secure and seen, safe and secure, seen and loved, yeah? Um, and that we feel our home base is in a way safe so we can go out from our home base and explore and we've always got this home base to return to where we'll, we'll be safe secure seen and loved um and so i'm curious because like what i'm what i'm what i'm reading into your story is like you're a psychic and you you're seeing things and other people are going you're making this up so which makes you not part of their world in a way which is which is traumatic for a child very traumatic for a child um so could you give us some stories so that people could understand it in a more concrete way oh, how weird do you want to go <laughs> um weird is my middle name i think um you know uh, it, i'm not trying to uh how can I say, I'm not trying to back anybody's particular story or belief system, but if you've got an experience that other people can relate to and go, yes, I know what he's talking about, then that supports them in their, as I say, coming out. I say psychic is the new gay. So I, I don't mean coming out, but just feeling secure. It's like, I'm not the only one. Do you know what I mean? Okay. Um, no, and I, I don't myself have any disclosure issues. Um, there was, you know, some home instability and then specifically as a result of some of the experiences. Um, the one that I would initiate with that probably best answers your question is too incredible and anybody listening is absolutely free to discard it as whatever form of nuttiness they would prefer. Um, it was a Christmas Eve when I was four years old and my mother was a single mother and we were uh, staying at my grandparents and uh, late into the night we we're sleeping in the same bed and we we're in an upstairs bedroom and late into the night there were sounds uh, outside and what appeared to be on the roof so my first thought of course was santa and looking over at the uh, wall where uh, stairs came up uh, the end wall, and then this wall was inside the bedroom. I just saw a shadow grow, and then something turned the corner, and it wasn't what I know now to be a gray alien. So I was wide awake, mm. sitting up. I could tell you the colors of the room, the sheets, the curtains, my mom next to me, and it looked at me, I looked at it, it looked at me. Then it came over to the edge of the bed, grabbed the blankets and flipped them off uh, of my legs. And at that point, I would say a fair amount of fear kicked in. So I you know, did that screaming where you can't quite get a voice. And then finally I got my voice. My mom woke up, screamed. And just like, a, it's hard to describe, it just 
like like I mean, it was so fast and so quick and gone. And so for my mindset, so this was in 1965, 66. Um, I had no concept of aliens, ETs. There really wasn't much going on about that, especially you know in my age. And then my family hmm. was uh, agnostic and and uh, atheistic to a large degree, very scientific folks. Hmm. And so for my whole life, I referred to that event as Skeleton Boy, and that was the only word. It wasn't until I believe in '89 or something when the book Communion came out. Hmm. That when I saw that cover, I just like felt shocked through to the core, and that was something I quickly shut down, ignored, denied, uh, pushed away for many years. And it wasn't until 2002 um, that I started to give some more consideration to the topic. In part, I was reading Robert Monroe's books at that time. Mm. And then I had a friend who was pretty ET oriented. And after, our, like you said, I read other people's story, um, didn't feel so crazy, at least on that topic. I might be crazy, but. <laughs> right. Join, join the club. <laughs> yeah. So when, when you see something with your physical eyes that you had no prior contact description for otherwise, mm. um, you know, it's interesting and it's life changing. Mm. Later, um, without having any sense of it being related to ET, I had extremely traumatic nighttime events, extremely. Mm. And that went on for quite some time. And that was finally when they dragged me into the child psychologist. Unfortunately, in that day, they didn't just, you know, throw drugs at you. He just wanted me to work out whatever it was. And at a certain point, I realized like you said, there, there was just a, a, no pun intended, but an alienation factor where um, mm -hmm. he wasn't really going to settle for it. And interestingly enough, I remember very distinctly in that age bracket, sitting down on my couch and realizing how many years it was until I would be 18 and just deciding to hunker down and get through everything and get out on my own. It, it was just a matter of sheer survival, sheer determination, and a, uh, you know, nowhere, nowhere to go, nowhere to talk. Uh, the saving grace for me was my uh, maternal grandmother. And she, like, I literally could do nothing wrong in her eyes, even though I did plenty wrong. <laughs> but she literally to the very last breath she took, supported me, believed in me unconditionally. And with that uh, constant stable data there with her, that took me through those times and, and you know, other more, or, you know, ordinary type times. Oh, that's really cool. I mean, that would be your um, yeah, going, I mean, I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a psychotherapist, but that would be your stable person. That would be your person oh, yeah. you rely on and you could feel stability in the world. And that would have given you, uh, like, um, a resource for your whole life. Actually, that that's the psychology of, uh, attachment theory. And oh, I, think, I, I take, you know, 
what I like about psychology is it's the study of, and science is the study of, not the answers. We've got all the answers and we know everything. It's we are studying something. And, uh, and so I love when they get something which explains something as a model. And, and really, you know, the, I, do you feel, how do you feel like about the whole um, alien thing? I mean, which, which explanation uh, comes, resonates most with you? Like, I mean, is there life outside this planet? Well, duh. yeah, there's life outside this planet because there's, there's life everywhere. Um, and, um, but like, are we seeing into other dimensions Are you know, is it, was it an out of body experience? Is it a third eye? Was it, you know, um, or, or do you feel like it's a combination of those? The answer is yes. <laughs> yeah. So what, no, what I've come to now, um, it, it's un, unpopular in this day and age, but I think more and more with some of the disclosure operations that are going on, um, I'm of the opinion that we're just currently in a bad neighborhood. There are, in my, I hate, to, I guess I should say opinion, but it's, it's fact for me, there are very um, malevolent entities that are operating in, in all the dimensions or realms that, that you mentioned. Um, there are now, you know, a lot of people shifting to the word, the phenomena. And in fact, next Tuesday, that film Phenomena comes out, which I'm very excited to, to see when it does. So uh, Jacques Vallée and others have moved away from just a standard ET explanation. Are there physicals? I believe so. Are there, for instance, the one that I saw, um, the way that it took off, Oh, it just, it, it was like a blur between physical and not physical. Uh, so are there ones that could do projections? I, I would consider that. And are there some that may never have been embodied in any shape or form? I would, I would say that that's factual as well. Hmm. Wow. That's, um, yeah, I like it. I like, yeah, kind of yeses to the answer, isn't it? Cause it's like, it's yeah. probably a bit of everything. Um, and there's, uh, there's so many different, um, um, I think it was Lynn that introduced me to the, Lynn Buchanan introduced yes. me to the idea that like, if the brain was simple enough that we could understand it, we'd be so simple. We couldn't. So in mm -hmm. a way, if the universe was so simple, we, we could understand it, then we probably wouldn't be here. This sort of thing. Yeah, and, yeah. and in relation to Lynn, he, he puts the, uh, context into a format that I, I agree with 100%. He has told a story uh, that's available online where he was doing some research after the program and he came up with categories, four essential categories. And that was telepathic friendly, telepathic not friendly, not telepathic friendly, and not telepathic, not friendly. Right. So, and then within all four of those quadrants is a um, physical representation of all body types. So there would be grays potentially in the telepathic friendly. Uh, there could be, you know, so whatever people hmm. label all of these variations, genetics or energetic, either one, 
uh, and then he asked himself, why, why do they have to get close? Why do they have to come in? But, and it dawned on him that, that for whatever reason, they don't have the range. Right. And he said, whereas we do, we can see across the universe. Hmm. And the domination effort of currently, I believe, configured around Earth um, is to keep us from getting out there. Because if we got out there, we would be very, very damaging to that uh, manipulation and control architecture, mm. which also is something in nearly the same words Ingo Swan, the creator, co-creator, as you know, of remote viewing, has also said. So the confinement here may very well be just to keep us under control, not because we're piddly little earthlings, but because we're beings of significant ability and um, they simply don't want to interact with us at our full capacity. Mm. You know, what occurs to me is like, you could definitely almost describe that, that you could say that's almost like a metaphor for our current government and human beings. We have mm -hmm. telepathic friendly, telepathic unfriendly, non-telepathic friendly, non-telepathic unfriendly. And, you know, in a way, we could also say, you know, a certain um, control of information is going on, you know, uh, over a distance and people Absolutely. coming in closer and closer to our lives and trying to manipulate the way we think and the way we believe the, the world is. Um, and that just came to me as the moment you're talking. It's just, uh, um, but then, yeah, that's the, like the Taoism idea of as within, so without, as above, so below. Yeah. Um, I think it's hermetic as well. Um, hermetic. Uh, but, but you know what, what, um, what I felt was when you were saying it, you, you say they, they need to see, or like we have the ability to see, and I know you're a remote viewer. So how did that all start? And, and did you, I mean, is that something that you had an early experience with just knowing stuff uh, or seeing stuff and just, like, what do I do with that? Where do I put that? No, not so much. The alien thing for me, like I said, uh, faded out and really didn't occur again until early to, until about 18, 17, 18 years ago. In the interim, at 13 years old, I lived, uh, my uncle was a psychologist, and he was also at that point in time, 74, 75, what you call a little bit of a hippie, um, the EST movement, and some of these other um, self-help, if you will, uh, Dr. Wayne Dyer and Stuart Emery and these people um, were really starting to open up some doors. So my uncle being as active as he was and his friends were uh, all higher level uh, meditators, Buddhists, uh, doctors, dentists. So I was really fortunate to be sucked into a crowd where you could then finally ask questions. Even then, the ET thing was nothing. They were more, you know, enlightenment, meditation, um, you know, self-responsibility. Mm. And so I remember one day my uncle, I was sitting there looking out my window and it was raining. I was looking out over this area in Seattle called Green Lake. 
Hmm. And he, he said, what are you doing? And I said, oh, just trying to figure things out, man. You know, 13 years old, face, face full of pimples and hmm. feeling as awkward as you could. And he just said, oh, that's the world. It's just out there worlding. And I remember going, what the hell did he mean by that? <laughs> so I you know, started hitting his bookshelf, and then I was invited to attend some of these retreats, uh, weekend retreats, where you would do things like, um, you know, for a whole day, you couldn't feed yourself. Somebody had to accompany you and feed you, and then the next day, you had to care for them all day. And, you know, some things that could be considered odd, but were incredible experiences. Mm -hmm. And as I progressed um, through that, I, I really got interested in meditation and spontaneously had a, a out-of-body type experience that, you know, for lack of a better term, scared the piss out of me. Mm. That was kind of shocking. And my tendency has been when I have these things go and I lose control, I, I, I withdraw from it or felt some fear. Yeah. And as that all progressed, it eventually culminated in um, 1982, uh, having a friend that was a Scientologist. And I jumped into that wholeheartedly, very excited, followed that path until there was a point where I just felt uncomfortable and was pretty certain that that wasn't where I wanted to be. And that was about 1983. Okay. Uh, from there, mm -hmm. all kinds of interesting things have happened. Right, right. Yeah. Um, it's, um, yeah, I was thinking about this because you mentioned it before, and I, I was thinking um, how can I, um, w w you know, delivering the story that I want to deliver without alienating people? I, I want to try to not. Um, whatever anybody thinks about Scientology, good or bad. Um, I don't want to, um, how can I say, I don't want to demonize anything because it's part of somebody's path. Um, and in the same way, I don't want to like uh, make something saintly or holy it, because it's all part of each person's path. Um, so, so just because I was thinking, oh, you know, I've, I've had a guy that was sort of quite zealous in a particular religious direction when he came on the show and I couldn't, I just couldn't, couldn't publish the show because I just felt like it was, it was too preachy. And I thought, okay, I know I need to head this off um, as a, as a topic. Uh, I should have headed it off with him, but and in a way, I'm not, I'm not closing the topic down. I'm just saying like, okay, for everybody, this is not a judgment on anything. And you may have had experiences that, well, in fact, we could always say, we always have experiences that we needed. Um, That's the case. Yeah. For, for me, I, I have no, uh, I'm, I'm incredibly grateful for, for the experience that I had there. Um, uh, there was a, a, a reorganization of, of the group going on at that time. Uh, many people, many people left. And at that time, a lot of the people faithful to the core group were expunged. So it was, it was a crisis time in the group. Mm. But I, I don't have any animosity. Uh, uh, it was a, you know, a two-year period of my life, but a remarkable two-year period. Hmm. So in this case, it's don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah. 
Oh, I love that's one of my favorite sayings. <laughs> you're, the, you're about the second person I think I've ever heard say that apart from me. Because when I heard it, I was like, that is so true. Um, right. So can you, um, do you want, can you share what sort of experiences that you that you had that were that were um, um, uh, help help form you and and give you more clarity or direction in that period? But in what, John? What during that period where you were learning okay. uh, yeah, things? Yeah. It, it was um, you know there originally back in the fifties and sixties even well into the 70s, it was actually more of a think tank. There were some dynamic and wonderful people. One of the things that was the hook, of, you know, at the time for me, I was in the military. I was over uh, in Honolulu Station, Hickam Air Force Base. The people were absolutely wonderful. They, they, they were fully willing to give anything and everything to, in their minds, save the planet. And I don't care what the methodology is, if everybody had some intent to, to bring our planet back into a state of sanity, uh, or maybe even bring it into a state of sanity for the first time, that, that's a good intent. They were bright, articulate, intelligent, professional folks. I couldn't wait to show up down at the center and, and just hang out. The experience for me that was very critical and falls right into line with your question, I was doing a session one time, um, basically what they just call a standard auditing session, and I started to have impressions of my own birth, which was so crystal clear and fully um, integrated with the somatics or the body sensations, including a very, very strong taste of blood in my mouth. And then all of a sudden, I had this vantage point away from my mom and the baby body and I went up to these windows and looked out and there's my dad and my grandmother sitting on a wooden bench out there in this long hallway uh, this was you know 1961 and it was kind of a military style type hospital not very fancy hmm. so after that experience resolved um, I called my grandmother and I said this is what I experienced a couple of days ago and she's like oh my Russell how could you know that um, that the, that it had those up high uh, panel windows that you could see all the colors who was out there the benches so she impressed me enough that it was accurate that I said okay you know perhaps it is so it wasn't too much longer after that maybe a week or two that I was just sitting in bed reading and the thought or almost like a voice hit me i am not my body and it was like i pushed back almost through to the other side of the wall into the neighbor's apartment and could just see kind of the top of my head and the book and the room and uh, was like wow what the heck does that mean and so the, the realization that's the first time that i knew that i knew i am not simply a body it was after that then that i decided uh for some you know reasons personal to myself and at the time i was married uh, my wife was not a fan of it and she was more interested in us going to church so i actually kind of flipped from scientology 
to fundamental Christianity for a few years, which was a new experience. And that's the Scientology episode as far as that time period. Yeah. What a, what a brilliant, I mean, what a powerful insight and so um, succinct. Yeah. Like I am, I am not my body. Yeah. Or, um, yeah. And so did, did you, did things change from that? Did that, I mean, you said there was a shift that you moved out of the area. So away, away from the group now, completely, uh, no affiliation whatsoever. Um, I started to have psychic experiences that were, basically I was at 23 years old, that, that were unsettling to say the least, like huge sense of expansion, um, perceptions from significantly far from my physical body. That, those kind of brought into my awareness some things that were frightening. And I, all I wanted to do at that point was make it all go away. And I did successfully do that um, and, and just shut it all down for quite some time. I, you know, that very similar thing happened to me. Um, I, had a, I had an experience um, of perceiving the acupuncture points on a, on a person that was attacking me, touching one of the points and then going down. And instead of going, yeah, wow, I've learned this coolest thing, I was terrified. I, I did not want that to happen again. I didn't want to have that power. Um, that was um, so. I'm. I, I love it that we're having a similar experience because most people would imagine that uh, you have something cool happen and you go, yeah. But you know, we immediately can't. I, I don't know if you think it's the same, but like we're kind of like we're shut out of our own society. We we don't have anybody that that we don't have our people, we don't have our, our clan anymore because they don't get it or apparently they don't get it. And certainly it seems like it would be quite risky to, to even sort of talk about, you know what I mean? Yes. Is that what happened it, to you? It, it, yeah, but I, I was a chameleon enough where I, I survived that aspect of it. Um, it, it definitely, you know, the way, the way I liken those expansion experiences, let's just say, you know, we're sitting at a campfire and you can look out and there's some stumps and trees and everything's fine. You throw on two more logs and the fire goes out and then you see some glowing eyes. And um, that was kind of what they were like. Whatever was on the fringes of some of those experiences, uh, I, I didn't care for, nor did I at that time have any interest in interacting with. Right. So from there, going to uh, going through the, the four or five years of church, that gave me a, a again a stable place. Mm -hmm. I was thrilled to be able to finally look through that kind of theology. Got a little bit obsessed with studying Old Testament Christian apologetics, and thoroughly. Um, answering all my questions and stabilizing myself on that point as to where I stood. Hmm. After that, things moved into what I'd have to just call kind of a pragmatism. Um, I got really inter interested in mountain bike racing and triathlon and hmm. that kind of thing to the point where um, that's pretty much all I did. It wasn't until 
94, where I was um, in queue to become a member of the Seattle Fire Department. And so I'd spent a couple of years testing, trying to get in. And I finally got in. I'd been a volunteer firefighter and then a professional emergency medical technician in Seattle. And one night I was laying there and my cat just tore into my chest, jumped and ran. And I looked and right at the foot of my bed was a very physically disfigured young teenage boy in spirit. And um, I was so mad that that channel had opened up again. Presumably, I, I've always thought that he might have gravitated towards me because of the background of emergency medicine. <clears throat> and it was right at that moment <clears throat> that I told him, can't do anything for you, go away, because I had to get up in a couple hours, face another 14 hours on the drill field, and um, those, those recruit school was not uh, for kids. <laughs> and no. Uh, no. so I really just I cranked it down hard and decided to be completely blind to all of it. That through several incidents dealing with death live uh, in car accidents or other traumatic situations, yep. Yep. I reinforced it and started to, no, 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 no. And I, I pretty much squelched it but then it came back. Hmm. Well, um, you know what? I mean, I haven't had that, um, uh, but I can imagine I would, you know, poop myself if that happened. I think that would that would um, um, be be kind of scary in that first moment. And I think I think we have a. Um, um, I'm, I'm in Thailand right now, and um, they're, they're terrified of ghosts. They're absolutely terrified, and it's culturally mm -hmm. they're trained to be terrified. You know, like stay away from these things, um, and um, and they're very dangerous, and so on. And I was curious that you that you use the term channel, like a channel opened up. Is there like a is that the way you see it? It's like you you've kind of shift from channel psychic to channel, um, uh, I can say clairvoyant, um, to channel uh, physical, to channel. You know, it could be like that. I mean, there's all kinds of theories. People talk about energy, frequency, tuning in, tuning out. I, I think myself that it's all interpenetrating. Mm. So that the astral is right here. It's not somewhere else. So is there a tuning that could be likened to changing a channel, um, a dial, or, uh, yeah, I believe so. Mm -hmm. So when you're listening to radio and you change channels, you haven't changed rooms, you haven't changed anything except for what it is you're becoming aware of. Right, right. It's a bit like listening to an orchestra and then you say, can you hear the oboe? And then suddenly you can hear the oboe and it seems like... Yeah it's clear now and you didn't notice it before and and uh um yeah i also feel like uh the other reflection i'm having recently is like the the when we go into this rejection that it builds up an interesting tension that at some point it's going to it, well not necessarily but it, if we have a flexible mind it's gonna snap back and we're gonna get more experiences or a kind of breakthrough um, uh, emergence, as it were, um, experience. 
um, like a spiritual crisis of growing or something like that. Is that what happened or, or not really? No, the, the later on, I know I left the fire department after eight years due to a, a on the job injury. And after that, I was, it's fair to say disgruntled and uh, frustrated that that something so important had um, left my life. So what I did was I packed up my dogs in a truck and I moved to a little log cabin out in the middle of the mountains of Wyoming. And my intent there was to spend a few years just clearing my head. Some aspects of that job had uh, tarnished my affinity for humanity, to put right. it rightly. Right. Right. At that point there, um, uh, I had a, a very other interesting ET experience where um, I was coming home and the way I sustained myself there was professional photography. So I did uh, horseback trips back then called photo safaris where I would take people in and we would shoot animals with a camera rather than a weapon. And then I did some work uh, guiding in Yellowstone uh, photography tours during the winter, which was really a unique uh, way wow. to see Yellowstone on a snow coach. Cool. So I was coming home one night at two something in the morning uh, from a photography assignment at the Buffalo Bill uh, Historical Center. And the valley that I lived in was called the Wapiti Valley. It was exactly 25 miles between Cody, Wyoming and the East Gate of Yellowstone, a little tiny town. And it's a bowl and it's just deadly quiet. Like when a Har during the summer, when Harleys would go down the highway, you could feel them. Mm -hmm. So we, so not we, but myself, I was coming home in my truck and I just happened to look up just the normal silhouettes of the mountain. And out of nowhere, the only way I can describe it is something unfolded. And it was a pristine white light. There was no uh, physical shape whatsoever. And I stopped the truck, rolled down the window. If it was a helicopter, it would have felt like thunder. There was no sound, nothing. And then I positioned the you know the little oil sticker to remind you to get your and, uh, uh oh okay yeah the video is frozen true story here I need the spooky music because this is where suddenly everything just cut off. Um, I had to go back and I had to restart the router. There was nothing going through the air uh, at my end. And you'll hear in episode two, part two, uh, what, what happened. Or should I say, what happened next? So stay tuned. Well, there's nothing to tune into, but listen to the next episode. It'll be coming out next Friday. Uh, like and subscribe, as they say. Uh, check it out on YouTube and on Facebook. All right, big love. You can get it where you get your, your, your podcasts or things.